Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. This is episode 95 of the Garden DC podcast. We're joined by returning guest Michael Judd of Ecologica Design talking about all things related to willows. This versatile plant family has something for everyone and I'm sure you'll want to be adding a few to your garden after you hear Michael's enthusiasm for them. The plant profile is on primroses and I share what's going on in the garden as well as some upcoming local garden events. This episode, we're joined by Michael Judd of Ecologica Design. He was a guest previously on the Garden DC podcast on episode 25, talking all about growing pawpaws. Welcome back to the podcast, Michael. Thanks. Thanks, Kathy. Glad to be here again. Glad to have you back. So today we're talking to you all about willows. And before we jump into that, let's talk a tiny bit about what's going on in your garden in this late winter, early spring timing. Uh, it's all willows right now. Uh, mm-hmm. My my annual garden has gradually become my perennial garden as I keep putting in cuttings uh, of willow and elderberry and black currants. Uh, my my tomatoes and my squashes are all getting sidelined. Um, so this is the critical time for flipping and propagating, uh, especially the willows and the other characters I just mentioned. So I'm running around and pruning. And while I'm pruning, I'm taking my cuttings and I'm sticking them, literally just sticking them straight into my garden beds uh, with no treatment uh, to keep that cycle going. And so do you have things leafing out like your blackberries and those sorts of things? Uh, not yet. Not mm-hmm. yet. Uh, getting ready. The I do have some of the catkins, some of the pussy willows, some of the early ones uh, have popped out and the others are right behind and ready. I'm around that cusp, which these days always has me hustling to work with the plants in this window. Usually each each late winter early spring, there's about two weeks where I jump in, where things are still dormant and I can prune them, stick them or uproot last year's cuttings uh, while they're still dormant, but getting ready to bud out and root. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a crazy time, but it's wonderful. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we could steal you away for a little bit from that. And I was just going to ask on the cuttings, which we'll go into in a little bit, and putting them into fresh soil, some of the uses for that. But we're talking now, it's early March, and let's talk a little bit about how the weather has impacted things. Are you finding it earlier this year or later? Um, I, I can't remember a year ago. Um. I think it's probably all in the same ballpark. Actually, I think last year might have been a little earlier, mm-hmm. um, but it's all, it, it does kind of vary. This window, this two-week window does kind of move around. Sometimes it can be the end of February, but it's usually by the, by, you know, certainly by the middle of March, mm-hmm. uh, this window for, for really working. Cause I have a, I have a small nursery and everything I, almost everything I grow, I grow outside. 
You know, I don't have a lot of infrastructure, greenhouses, etc. Uh, I really work with what grows well and easy in my gardens uh, or in sort of the, you know, some of the limited areas and pots that I work with. But really, I grow most things by cuttings in my garden. Yeah, and easy is going to be the word of the this episode, right, Michael? A lot of this is super easy to do with willows. Yes. I mean, in general, you know, I only work with things that grow easy. You know, my motto is design for neglect because that's probably what's going to happen in most cases anyway. So <laughs> the, th- the things I work with, I just, you know, I know they grow well and I know that they're, they, they take well and are easy and low maintenance uh, and very mm-hmm. productive. You know, that's, mm. that's the combo I'm always after. And we should note for our listeners who might not have heard that earlier episode, where you are located in relation to Washington, D.C. Yeah, we're in Frederick, Maryland, beautiful, small city, about 45 minutes. Uh, I guess we would be northwest of Washington, D.C. and uh, 45 minutes from Baltimore. We're kind of in a triangle here. And we're just above the, the small city of Frederick in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains, our property uh, we steward about 25 acres uh, with a creek in it. We, we call it Long Creek. And we have about three acres of open areas that are pretty much filled now with uh, food forests, you know, gardens, um, nursery. And of course, we, we grow mushrooms in the woods. And it's quite a spectacular spot. If, if, if you haven't come, it's definitely worth the visit. There's a lot to see and learn from our site. And lots and lots of pawpaws, and that's what we had talked to you before about is your annual pawpaw festival and the pawpaws you propagate as well. Yes, we have tons of pawpaws, lots of cultivars, and then of course our pawpaw fest uh, every September is a big hit and an opportunity to come see all the other things, uh, the food forest, the willow collection, the growing willow collection, the living willow structures, you know, our circular straw bale home, you know, it's, it's, it's quite an adventure uh, to come out here. Yeah, and I would say that's one of the things when visitors come to your property is those living willow structures. So let's jump into talking about those. So those are literally willows that form an outside structure or some type of protection. Yes, there's many different types of living structures. Uh, To the entrance to our food forest, we have an arch, a beautiful tall arch uh, that creates this very magical you know, portal, you know, when you walk through it, you're in the food forest and the food forest is our, it's not growing food in the forest. It's, it's growing food like the forest. So it's kind of our diversified orchard, lots of fruits and nuts and useful plants everywhere. And coming through this beautiful willow arch, you really do feel like you're entering another realm. Um, And for that, and for most of my living structures, I use a hybrid called winter glory. And it's a beautiful, very fast-growing male, which means it has the big, beautiful flowering catkins, which are also extremely important to the bees. Uh, I don't think people realize that the willow genus uh, in general is a huge support to the bees. Uh, And is the main way that willows are pollinated is by the honeybees. So, you know, that's a real added benefit to the beauty of this. Plus, this winter glory is also a really good basketry willow uh, for sort of larger basketry. And you can imagine for basketry, you need willow rods that are flexible. So they also are really good for creating living structures so that they literally can be pulled over and tied together. And that's how we're creating this living willow arch. Uh, That living willow arch, I would say, is probably about 12 feet tall. 
though it could be it could be woven and held down at, at a lower level. Um, so that's one. Another one is outside of our straw bale home. We have a willow dome, a beautiful willow dome that's 16 foot in diameter, and it has 12 um, sort of legs to it going all the way around. And that domes over where we where we've tied. So in each one of those 12 sort of pillars, we originally planted three willow rods. Uh, again, winter's glory, and we started them out at eight feet tall right? Because we have a lot of deer. So this is key, right? So we literally just stuck these rods in cuttings, unrooted, boom, stuck them in one, you know, one foot in the ground, and then pulled them over and tied them, the tall, long middle ones. And then we brought the two side ones over as arches. Hmm. And it created this beautiful dome, uh, which very quickly fills in, uh, which the deer actually very, very uh, conveniently trim up for us so that it actually (laughs) has this nice little sort of cap to it. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about is deer do like eating the willow leaves, but they'll leave the plants, the stems alone? Well, yes and no. So it is a fodder. And traditionally, uh, in many, many parts of the world, in Europe, um, Australia, other places that the willows really used a lot, uh, it is a fodder for livestock and animals. So it's a very important food source, a perennial green, uh, and it has tannins in it. So it also is actually very helpful to to the, the sort of the, the microbiome of the animals as well. So they, they, they often don't eat it in excess, but they do appreciate it having it in their diet. So yes, yeah, so we work a lot with starting with long willow rods, so that they can only, you know, reach up to approximately five feet and everything above five feet grows very happily. Now, the one thing uh, that I've noticed is that in the, in the wintertime, the males do like to rub their horns on those really nice mm-hmm. uh, rods. So uh, sometimes I plant, like I, like I said, I planted three in a hole. That helps a lot so that they can't actually girdle, you know, all three. They might rub on the, on the sides of each one. Uh, but again, you could just easily put some chicken wire or something on them during the winter time to keep that rubbing off. So it's not a problem. So another thing that willows are really traditionally used for is basketry. And again, that's fodder. And there, that usage is by coppicing typically, which means just cutting off of the ground and allowing it to reshoot, uh, much like your ornamental clump grasses. You cut them once a year, they reshoot. Same with your willows. You can cut a willow that, you know, that if it was left as a tree, might be 40 feet, but you cut it at the ground every year and you'll have just five or six foot shoots and you have a beautiful bush. Um, Now, if you have deer, you would cut that at about five or six feet in height. And we call that pollarding. And so I pollard the willows here. I have over 50 different species growing. There are over 400 species of willows. Most of those are temperate, mm-hmm. which is mind-blowing because most folks are only familiar with one, typically, the weeping willow, yep. sometimes the curly willow. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's so many. I've got 50 and counting as far as species here on our property. And the way that I'm able to do that, especially in a limited space, is that I am pollard in them every year or two years at five or six feet. And then what happens is they shoot out from there. They shoot these rods out and they're and they're just so cool looking. And this looks like this funky hairdo you know, that shoots off of this, 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 uh, this pollard stem. And when you're pulsing your willows, whether it's coppicing or pollarding, you are getting some of the, the brightest colors and some of the some of the most curly, you know, whatever the characteristic of your willow is, you are getting you are getting such a fresh flush of that 
Uh, same with your catkins and your flowers. So it's really actually a, a fun way and a beautiful way to work with the willows. Uh, so you don't have to have a willow tree at all. You literally can just keep cutting these every year and get huge benefits from it. And of course, the bees and everything else will be happy too. Well, I have to ask a couple mechanical questions in there. And one is, what are you using to cut and get those fresh cuts of them? And then two, what are you using to bind, like when you were creating mm. that willow structure? How do you tie them together? Right. So I, I'm mostly using loppers. You know, most of the willows, especially the ones that are shot up, they're only a year or two old, are, are very dense. So they cut very easily. You could also use a hand pruning saw very easily. And if you're coppicing, you know, you're cutting, you're cutting, you know, if it's your first time, you know, cutting it back, you know, cut it all the way down to about six inches in the ground. And then what that'll do is it'll shoot out new shoots from the buds that are remaining. And then each year, subsequent year, you cut it back uh, to about two inches above where you cut it the year before. Again, just so you have those little opportunities for the, the new shoots to come out of. And then when I am tying my willows together, I'm using that green stretchy tape like you would use on tomatoes. Uh, I'm using that. If I have something that's mm -hmm. really strong, like I'm really like pulling a lot together, um, I might use sort of more of like a, a, a rubber, sort of a thin rubber hose uh, that I might use to like hold something a little bit stronger. And you were mentioning basketry in the in the uses of willow for that. So do you do mm. your own basketry? Do you have classes? And is it all just from the willow or do you use like a wooden base that I see sometimes used for baskets? Well, this is this is my hopeful future. It's my vision with with a lot of what I'm doing with the willows is to sort of help re-enliven the culture of basketry, you know, using willows. So I've, I'm still in the stage of running around and growing them and, and, you know, sharing the story of the willow and getting people interested and getting them to plant them. Uh, and one thing I, you know, I'm, I'm considering is looking for support, you know, writing a grant, founding a foundation, you know, even an individual who wants to sponsor me to focus on this is something I'm going to start looking for and putting out there uh, to begin the process of cutting, drying, stripping, and then yes, weaving and starting to do classes and teach and share that, you know, I would, I would love to put more of my, my life energy and focus uh, into the willow and the culture of willow. But I've got to sort of get a, I need, I need, I need a head start on that. So mm -hmm. I'll keep going at it on my own, but um, hopefully I'll, I'll find, I'll find some sponsorship and, and it'll go, it'll fast forward a lot more quickly because the willow really is one of the most resilient uh, regenerative species that we have to work with. Uh, it's being used a lot around the world for many different uses. Some of it even as a biofuel. I know mm -hmm. in Sweden, uh, they they grow mass amounts of willow uh, for burning and replacing their oil and coal usage. Denmark as well, because uh, it burns so clean and then it's carbon neutral. You know, it's 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 sequestering, you know, more carbon than is burned. So a lot of countries that are really, really, really sort of I would say paying attention, but actually caring. Uh, you know, about their carbon emissions are really starting to work with the willow and the poplar because it's in the same family. So the tulip poplar and the willows are very closely related. Uh, and the poplars also coppice and pollard very readily uh, and can be used in that regenerative way or for for pulp, for the, for the paper industry. You know, it's just a very renewable perennial source for many, many different uses. 
Hmm. I mean, we haven't even gotten into all the medicinal uses. So. That's right. Yeah. It's endless. Yeah. So I was going to say willow is the, the Latin is salix, the salix family. And that's where we get salicylic acid and all of those uses for that. And that comes from really from the bark portion of the willow. Yes. Yeah. That was the original, the original aspirin. And, and maybe we'll come back to using that more as a, as a balanced, you know, natural medicinal. Um, so yeah, lots, lots and lots of purposes for it. I mean, and then it's also a great soil stabilizer. Uh, it's being used a lot in reclamation and, you know, stream banks. You know, I always tell people if they want to kind of do some guerrilla planting to help, uh, their favorite streams and rivers is to get a bunch of willow cuttings as they're going down in their canoe or waiting to start sticking them into the banks. And literally they will root and start to hold that soil. Uh, and it's one of the easiest things that most folks, you know, anyone can do. Mm -hmm. um, there's, yeah, there's a, I'll throw out a resource for that. Uh, Ernst Seeds, uh, they're in Pennsylvania, E-R-N-S-T Seeds. They have a whole category that are live stakes. Uh, and they have some willows, probably just, you know, your black willow, uh, but then a mm -hmm. bunch of other types too, that you can buy, literally just start staking in gorilla planting <laughs> wherever you'd like. Yeah. And I'm hearing that willows are also good for cleaning toxins out of the soil, like phytoremediation uses. So that would be a great use, you know, in a riparian buffer or where you're talking about um, erosion control or living snow fence as well. Yeah. Or on old mining, you know, any area. I mean, there, there's, again, there's so many different types of willows. There's a willow almost for every occasion and every site. Some that are really drought tolerant, uh, some that'll go grow in the cold up to the Arctic, you know, some that are beautiful cascaders that grow, almost grow out of rocks. So the willow, you know, most people think, oh, willow just moist. And no, there's, you know, there are, there's, there's actually only a handful that like it really wet. And then moist is you typically good, and, but then they'll be dry and extreme cold. I mm -hmm. mean, there's, there's really just an endless selection of willows. One of the reasons I'm so excited about them. Yeah, I think in our area, the mid-Atlantic U.S., we're very used to seeing the weeping willows, and we know that they are water-loving roots and that they will, you know, there's the um, caution everybody has not to plant a weeping willow too close to your house, lest it get into the plumbing lines, because yeah. the roots are very greedy for water in that way. Um, so our other caution should probably be what you're doing, which is stabbing the fresh cut willow wands into the soil for them to propagate. Were you to put those into say your pea patch or somewhere else in a vegetable garden, <laughs> then you're going to get willows along with your peas yeah. growing. And maybe that's not the best thing for a vegetable bed. <laughs> yeah, that might, that, if I forget about a few plantings in my garden, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> that's for sure. But you know, it, coppicing them and pol or pollarding them will keep the root structure small. You know, because you're not allowing it to become a tree, photosynthesize and expand those roots. You are maintaining it as a bush and they'll have bush sized roots. So, again, you can be, you know, uh, creative, uh, you know, even with what would be a larger willow uh, in a smaller space. And another use of willow that I've been looking at recently is as a plant root hormone. Uh, making your own willow water. And I think that's a lot easier for people to be doing at home than buying that hormone rooting powder, correct? Um, I'd say yes. You know, I, I'm not sure the, the full science uh, backs up how good a rooting hormone it is. It definitely is a rooting hormone. Um, and what I'll do, yes, is I'll take my willow cuttings 
and I'll stick them in a bucket of water, um, you know, while I continue to cut more and often for a day or two. And then I'll, and th within that water, I also throw my black currant cuttings and my elderberry cuttings, um, any other cuttings that I'm working on, figs, and that will help. Um, you know, help, help get that hormone into them. So yeah, I think it's a good practice, um, you know, but you know, every cutting has, has often has a different degree of difficulty and needs. Um, so if you're really wanting to be sure, you know, you might want to back it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's a lot of um, scientific trials being done uh, with the use of willow water at this point, but not too much uh, published so far. So let's talk a little bit more about the propagation process when you're taking those cuttings and stabbing them into the soil are you making a sharp diagonal cut are you making a flat cut how are you doing it on that uh you know my top cut you know the top part is is diagonal uh the bottom i usually don't pay much mind at all uh, it doesn't seem to matter especially with the willow uh they're they're so forgiving and so usually i'll take about a a 10 to 12 inch cutting or sometimes an eight foot cutting, you know, I would say 12, 12 inches up um, and stick. So if I have a 12, if I have a 12 inch cutting, I will put about, you know, almost 10 inches of that into the ground and I will only leave one or two uh, leaf buds above the ground so that all those other leaf buds will start to root out. And I really only just leave, you know, a couple above ground if I'm sticking an, like an eight or 10 foot, you know, rod into the ground, I'll stick it one foot into the ground as an average. You could stick it further, uh, but I find a minimum of, of 12 inches going in uh, usually is plenty. Um, and it's amazing that these, these 10, eight, 10 foot rods will root and grow so, so readily. Uh, and it's almost like instant tree. Uh, or instant living structure, which is which is quite exciting, um, mm -hmm. because they're so lightweight, they're so easy. You're not transporting, you know, a big old plant. You know, people come to my nursery, and I, you know, I'll give them ten foot willow whips, and we'll put them in their car, and we'll just kind of, you know, bend them around, and they stick them in there, and they're off with, you know, a small forest in their car, um, and they can go home and and plant that as a, a living fence, a privacy mm -hmm. fence, you know, a windbreak. You know, some of the living structures, you can make these nice little bench alcoves with them. Uh, we've also made a living uh, children's fort here. Uh, you can do little teepees for the children. Uh, there's just tunnels. It's just so much fun. There's, there's just endless creative ideas uh, to, to work with these. Yeah, and the flexibility is so much fun that, yeah, as you're saying, you can have a little bit of abuse to them and not yeah. worry too much yeah, yeah. So, with, with certain um, with certain with certain species so mm -hmm. there there are certain species one in particular called fragilis uh basically meaning fragile and it's it's known in for having um you know twigs and leaves that easily break off that's actually one of the ways it propagates itself <laughs> as twigs break off they fall right in the ground they regrow um and so, so you do want to you do want to select, and that's why a lot of these weaving willows do bend well and do also lend themselves to living structures. You know, weeping willows are kind of in the middle. You know, they they they, they tend to have semi brittle branches. Um, so, so yeah, getting to know your willows a little bit can be helpful. 
mm-hmm. or, or, or come, come, come to my nursery. We've got, you know, we, we, we've sorted a lot of it out. Yeah, I was thinking about, in particular, the pussy willows, which are popular this time of year as you're coming up to Easter for people to buy bunches of those. And Mm -hmm. they're usually a little bit more um, stiff and woody branches to them. So you have the American uh, native one, Salix Discolor, and then Mm. there's Japanese versions. And those tend to be the more like highly colored, the pink or the black yes. ones. Yes, yeah, yes. They're so beautiful. The Japanese ones are gorgeous. We have one that's the very earliest one, Mount Asso. Mm. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Japanese uh, cultivar and it, 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 it goes so early. It was the first thing on our entire landscape before anything else to show life. It flowered and it has these, yes, these beautiful sort of starts out sort of like a dark pink and then it goes light pink and super fluffy, gorgeous catkins, yes. Yeah, and I don't think anybody who's bought the dried branches, say at a florist or somewhere, knows what the flower actually looks like, that it comes out with kind of that gold halo around it and then drops those off. Yes, yes, it has that kind of like that scale bud on it. Um, And the male and the female flowers kind of come out looking similar in that way. Um, But then the males will put out their anthers and, and and it's just gorgeous. They really kind of like explode and you get tons of colors from gold and yellow, uh, you know, different reds. And and really, it's kind of the males that put on the biggest show uh, when it it comes to the willow flowers. Hmm. And that American one, the Salix Discolor, that is the host plant for two of our native butterflies in a region, the Morning Cloak and Mm. the Viceroy. So a really nice side benefit to those. Yeah. And the birds, the birds love willows. Uh, they love our willow temple. It's, it's almost a big bird nest. <laughs> they just love being in there. Um, but, but, you know, the, the, the willows in general are, are big support to, to the birds and the bees. Um, they're just, yeah, they're, they're, they're a huge ecosystem support. So um, this is your super busy time for propagating the willows and then when you're preparing them for sale, do you just dig them bare root um, for the person who would take them home or do you pot them up? Well, ideally bare root. You know, I do bare root now, um, you know, as they come out and I encourage people to always come get my bare roots because they'll get the biggest roots, the stuff, sometimes the stuff I can't even stick in a pot. Um, and they can take them away right away. And then I, and then I start to pot them up. You know, like, like, so in about a week or so, I'm going to start potting them all up. And then, you know, people can still buy them. They're basically bare root, but they're in a pot. You know, that'll, that'll get them, get them home and get them in the ground. You know, most plants really appreciate being planted in, in March and April. Yeah, once you get into May and you start planting, you're, you're dealing with heat and stress to the plant. So I try to encourage people and, and put that ed- education out there that, Plants really like to be worked with when it's cool and moist, uh, and that's that's late winter, very early spring, and and generally, I don't think people are that aware of that. Um, and and part of that's the the nursery industry uh, has sort of dictated when plants become available because they're coming out of their greenhouses, and you know we you know horticulture generally speaking in our in our country is is kind of built around the commercial horticultural industry and their needs uh, versus the ideal windows for plants. Hmm, that's very true. And sometimes you'll see some nice potted up willows, especially like the pussy willow cultivars that we mentioned, like the pinks and the black ones. They're kind of grown almost in a topiary shape. 
like a little fountain spray. Um, and I assume that they've gone through a little bit of pruning and treatment to get them to look like that. Those are grafted. Mm. Um, so if you're talking about, you know, and I've seen these two in the um, nurseries where they're, I don't know, five feet and then they have a little small cascading uh, weeping branches, uh, pendula. Capria pendula is the main one that's mm -hmm. used for that, um, but they're grafted. So those, a lot of those, those little small weeping cascaders would be ones you would use, you know, around a pond or in a rock garden. You know, they wouldn't, you know, they might be six, 12 inches tall only, and they would cascade over rocks, um, but then grafted onto, you know, a more upright willow at a height of about five or six feet, then you get this beautiful little cascade at that height. Um, and I'm, I'm starting to do that. I'm, I'm now getting into grafting all kinds of different types of willows onto other types of willows. I'm getting, I'm getting a little Dr. Seuss uh, around here um, and having fun with, with uh, trying different combinations. Um, some that might be small that the deer would eat that I couldn't grow, I'll graft up. And that, so it might be a bush, but now it's going to be a bush on, you know, a five or six foot stem, uh, which I'll pollard as well. Uh, so a lot, a lot of fun, a lot of unique looks uh, can come out of this. Um, and I hope in the future to have a lot of unique grafted willow cultivars for, for people who are interested in that. Yeah, that's a good point about the grafting and to know that whatever the hardy stock of willow below that graft point is, that you are going to want to have to prune around that. Right. You're going to want to prune anything below that. Uh, but that's also how you can get a, a beautiful weeping willow, which typically could be a 40 foot tree. You could graft on to say a, um, a Salix Alba Bretensens. So Bretensens is one of my favorite. It's, um, it's a select seedling from Germany uh, that is this gorgeous yellow. It has a pyramid shape, but it's only about 15 feet tall. Uh, it's, one of, it's one of our favorites here. I do have quite a few growing around, but I'm also grafting onto that because I know that it's only going to have about a 15 foot height. So I can take a larger, even like a larger golden weeping willow, Tristis, a very popular, uh, large weeping golden willow. And I can graft that on to my pretensets and I'm going to have a 15 foot tall, beautiful golden weeping willow that the deer will probably trim up nicely for me right to about <laughs> five feet. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just perfect. <laughs> Yeah, I just love the look of a huge old weeping willow, like above a pond, you know, kind of slightly uphill. And you could, when you were a kid, you could kind of use it as a fort or a place of refuge or a yeah. place to go and read your books. So it's always a nice picturesque place to play. Yeah, they're magical. I, that's, I love, I love weeping willows. I still just stop and stare at them. They have these very, if you look at them, they have these very, very long uh, hair-like branches. Some, some, sometimes they're six or seven feet long and they just sit there and wave and move. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of character in them, a lot of spirit. Now for creating a fence line or a hedge with willow, you would probably want to at some point be able to contain it because, you know, the same thing that we would have been doing uh, a few decades ago with bamboo and then the next homeowner comes in and doesn't realize <laughs> that they have right. to keep on top of that. Um, so would you plant it with a barrier in the ground around it or how would you control um, the willow from spreading? Well, so there's only actually a few willows that spread and it is a good point to bring up. 
um, that there are a few uh, rhizominous, you know, sort of spreading by their root type willows. Uh, but generally speaking, most are are not going to propagate that way at all. So there's not there's not really a, a general fear of the willow spreading. Um, but let's say that you did plant a living fence of of a willow that might typically you know, get 15 to 20 feet tall, um, but you were keeping it hedged, you know, you were cutting it every year at six feet and you like that, but then boom, you left and it went a lot higher. Uh, I could see that as maybe challenging somebody, but there is, uh, there's quite a few choices. One of my favorite choices is a bush willow, a very ornamental bush willow that only gets five or six feet tall, period. It's called Gracilius nana. Uh, very beautiful, thin, multi-stemmed uh, shrub that is very beautiful in a planting like that. And you know, in full sun, it's only going to, you know, be about six or so feet tall. Uh, so again, you can select knowing, you know, what your mature height is going to be. Again, design for neglect is wise. Uh, so go ahead and plant what you want without having to worry about maintaining it. But if you're kind of um, in love with another type of willow, you can weave uh, beautiful um, willow fences and get very quick uh, privacy uh, or windbreak. Someone just uh, emailed me saying they wanted a, they just got a puppy and they wanted to put in the willows so that by the time it was a big dog, the fence would be grown in. Um, so there's, there's endless, endless options. So what are some of the varieties or cultivars of willow that you're growing now that, uh, that you're really in love with? Oh, I feel like, I'm so in love with so many of them. Um, the Bretensense that I mentioned, a really big fan. Uh, some of the curlies. I have uh, one uh, that we grow called Scarlet Curly, and it is gorgeous. Uh, very strong grower. And the branches are super twisty. I mean, like they just twist, 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 and then they'll have reds and oranges in them. Beautiful flowers. Just a gorgeous, very strong, vibrant uh, tree. So the scarlet curly, there's also a golden curly, which, uh, which is very similar in its growth. That's just a beautiful gold. Uh, there's a sunny twist that we have that I like a lot. We have a, we have a chocolate curly. So I, I'm a fan of a lot of the curlies. And again, those are wonderful for, um, you know, cut and, and use my, mm-hmm. my, my wife and, and, uh, my little daughter have been walking around behind me and just picking up and my son today, too, actually went and made a bouquet, uh, just collecting the odds and ends from all of my prunings. And they're just gorgeous. Uh, let's see. What other favorites do I have? Um, well, like I say, I use them for lots of different purposes. Um, there's one called Aquatica Gigante. And I think it's another German selection uh, with a large leaf. And it's a really good fodder. So it has a large leaf. Good for, you know, because I work a lot with agroforestry systems. You know, I work a lot with uh, nut orchards and really kind of trying to design, you know, you know, long-term perennial uh, food systems and, you know, integrating animals and agroforestry and alley, alley cropping uh, willow like that does really well uh, as a fodder and as a windbreak. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, black mall is a triandra, which is a beautiful, uh, fine, uh, basketry willow. Um, so we, you know, we have these, these very fine, small type willows that are called oysiers. You might've heard of oysier willow and England, you know, they have these huge areas of oysier growing beds, usually along the rivers. 
mm-hmm. uh, that they that they grow and cut, you know, for basketry. And they just have these very, well, they have everything from very fine rods to more coarse. But, you know, a lot of the finer basketry are coming from these more thin rod, very strong uh, type willows. The purpurea is a, is a very, uh, very, a very large uh, species that has a lot of great selections for uh, basketry in particular and is one of the less palatable to deer. So really kind of depending on your deer pressure, uh, the purpurea uh, group is, is one of your safer bets to where they may not nail it as much. Uh, again, everyone's pressure varies, mm-hmm. but that's one of your better bets. And then, of course, the, 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 you know, the, the black willow that grows everywhere around here, uh, it's one of the ones I see the deer not eating. Um, and it's actually a really good, I like the way it grows because it grows out as, you know, sort of multi-stemmed, often from low in the ground. And they get about, uh, I don't know, six, eight inches uh, in, in diameter. And that's great for growing uh, mushrooms on. So I grow a lot of oyster and shiitake mushrooms. And the willow wood is really good for growing oyster mushrooms on. So another, another, just another wonderful use mm. uh, of the willow once again. And I, I wonder if that is because of the salicylic acid and there's some type of no, association there. I, maybe, but I think it's probably just extra tannic, you know, maybe it's mm-hmm. too tannic for them. You know, I think there's, I think tannin in the leaf is, is one of oh. the aspects or, or just extreme bitterness, which, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, varies in the different willows. Um, some are sweeter than others, I guess. But yeah, it's uh, they they don't they don't go for the the black willow, whereas they've just about eaten every other willow I've grown. <laughs> <laughs> so on the curly willows, especially love the sound of that chocolate willow because who doesn't like chocolate? But uh, the curly ones, do you have any advice for getting it to be more curly? Is it the newer growth that forms as yes. curls or the older? Yes. So it's newer growth. So when you're when you're cutting it, you know, yearly or biannually, or sometimes people might do it every three years, kind of depending on 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 the growth habit of the willow. Um, you, you get the most vibrant colors you get the you know the most yeah the most curl from the curly willows you, you really get the you know, like a lot of the stuff that you're you're finding or buying in the uh the floral industry are coming from these these coppiced uh type willows because um, if you let them go and i've actually been thinking about this because some of these super curly ones that i have i'm wondering how they would look if i let them go you know i don't, I don't know if they they would just tangle themselves up i don't know they're so so curly some of them are so there's a variation you know, like sunny twist uh is is only moderately curly and i could see that kind of you know growing up finds a tree but you know scarlet curly and golden golden curls i mean they twist so much into themselves that i just I, it would be like a one super crazy hairdo if it got really big but i don't know because i'm always uh polarizing and cutting mine mm-hmm. again because i i uh, i want those i want those colorful uh shoots but then also you know i'm growing a lot of willows in a small space um so you know by doing that i can put them you know eight eight ten feet apart you know i can grow a lot of willows in a small area just by cutting them every you know every season and one additional species of willow that I was going to ask if you're growing are the dappled or variegated kind with the foliage Ooh, that comes like in white yes, tips. Yes, the, There's um, one I love yeah. called flamingo because it's just that right tone of pinky orange. That's a flamingo coat. 
Yeah. So the, the most popular one uh, out there is, let me see if I can get this right, is Hakiro Nishiki. Uh, and it does, it has those pinks and whites to it. And those you definitely want to keep cutting uh, because they need stimulation. They, 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 they struggle to get, you know, um, photosynthesis and chlorophyll. Uh, because they don't have that green element in them. Um, so by cutting them and stimulating that new growth is one of the ways to keep them sort of vibrant and healthy. Um, so yeah, but the, yeah, the, the Haikiro Nishiki, uh, and then the flamingo is probably a, a, a variation or it could even be the same. could just mm -hmm. be, could be a nursery name for that. Sometimes they'll just, they'll name something yep. popular. Uh, yeah. but yes, I love that one. It's, it's much more of a shrub. Um, I am, I am getting it to grow as a small tree, uh, but it's another one that I'm going to start grafting. I'm going to start grafting that onto some of my, some of more of my uprights, uh, so that, so that I can get it up out of the deer's reach, um, and not, not necessarily grow it as a shrub, which is, which is its tendency. Yeah. That's how I see it in the landscape uses similar to a forsythia shrub in size and shape, mm -hmm. um, that people would prune it that way for just for that foliage color. It is gorgeous. It is really worth it. I highly recommend it. So how can our listeners get in contact with you? Uh, check out, check out our website, ecologia, uh, .com. It's, it's really quite an amazing, uh, site with Everything from pawpaws to, you know, how to shape your landscape to harvest water, to willows, uh, to food forests, to mushrooms, you know, all the, all the things that I'm involved in. Uh, we do have uh, intermittent workshops on site where you can come and really see everything and then focus on, on real hands-ons uh, learning. And then, of course, our pawpaw fest is another great time to come and visit us. Um, I have a couple of books. Uh, my first book, Edible Landscaping with a Permaculture Twist, is a really how-to on uh, how to set up your landscape, uh, you know, designed for neglect. And uh, then For the Love of Pawpaws, my second book, uh, is focused on pawpaws, but also really, again, brings in uh, aspects of how to really, really work with your landscape and grow, you know, any kind of fruit and nuts and really establish your, your site so that whatever you plant grows really well. Um, so yeah, those are, those are all, all resources there, you know, YouTube channel, uh, edible landscaping with a permaculture twist, uh, Instagram at, uh, at permaculture ninja, Facebook, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, uh, hyper-focused on a lot of them these days. Uh, but there's a lot out there too, uh, that I've done that you can look at. Great. Well, thank you, Michael, for sharing a little bit of your willow obsession with us. <laughs> and uh, any final thoughts for listeners on growing willows? Um, yeah, another great resource for getting cuttings is Vermont Willow. Vermont Willow is also a great website to surf through. One of my, my inspirations and mentors in Willow is Mike uh, Michael Dodge, uh, who just retired and handed over Vermont Willow, but still still is overseeing and very involved. But really, it's his collection, uh, and you can get cuttings uh, from him. I, I don't do too many cuttings. I do the long rods uh, for people to come and get, um, and I might in the future uh, do more cutting-wise, but uh, you can get quite a collection from him, and he breaks it up into groups, you know, for bees, you know, ornamentals for basketry so his website is a, is a willow universe it's a wonderful willow world uh to surf around in so i, I would 
I would shout out for Vermont willows. Well, thanks for sharing that resource. And I love calling it a wonderful willow world. Yes. <laughs> right. It is. So happy spring, Michael, and thank you again. Thanks, Gabby. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Primrose Plant Profile Primroses, Primula hybrids, are a cold-hardy perennial to USDA Zones 4 through 8. They come in an array of flower colors, including reds, whites, yellows, oranges, purples, or pinks, with yellow centers and scalloped green foliage. They are widely sold as a houseplant at local supermarkets and garden centers in late winter and early spring. At just $2 to $5 each, I buy several and use them to decorate my home with flowers during the gray days of January and February. When they stop flowering, I plant them out in the garden in a moist, part-shade spot. They come back reliably each year with little to no care and bloom about the same time outdoors as they did inside. One extra step I do for them is that I pinch out any spent blossoms as I come across them during regular watering. Side note, never let them dry out. This encourages more and longer flowering from the plants. You can also give them a few drops of liquid fertilizer to prompt more flower formation when they start to slow down. Rather than compost these sweet little plants, why not plant them out in your garden and be rewarded with blooms for years to come? Primrose, you can grow that. What's new in the garden this week? Well, imagine my surprise after last week's episode all about magnolias to go out in the garden and see my Jane Little Girl series magnolia had already opened up and is blooming its head off. A couple weeks early, but still welcome. Also welcome, but a bit early in the garden are the Mount Hood trumpet daffodils. And they are joined by the Tetetet daffodils, Jetfire daffodils, and the February gold still hanging on, as well as many different kinds of crocus, snowdrops, and hellebores. In the local gardening world, there's some upcoming plant sales that you'll want to mark your calendar for. One is the Beloved Gardens Vegetable, Herb, and Perennial Plant Sale. This is at a church in Frederick, Maryland on Saturday, April 30th from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. rain or shine. It's at 4880 Elmer Durr Road. And then there's the Bethesda Community Garden Club's annual plant sale returning on Thursday, May 12th from 9 a.m. to noon. It's held outdoors at the Bethesda Farm Woman's Market and is open to the public. Next on Saturday, May 14th, the Montgomery County Master Gardener Spring Event Grow It, Eat It is happening and that's from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. with a rain date of Sunday, May 15th. 
That's at the Agricultural History Farm Park in Durwood, Maryland. Entry to the event is free, but some of the programs on that day are advanced reservation and by fee. There's also a small group of vendors, crafts, and plant clinics along with that. Happy gardening! In the new book, The Urban Garden by Kathy Jensen and Terry Spite, you'll find dozens of inspiring and creative ways to grow flowers, shrubs, vegetables, herbs, and other plants in small spaces and with a limited budget. Whether you want to grow on a balcony, rooftop, front stoop, or a tiny urban patio, turn your growing dreams into reality and build a gorgeous and unique garden that showcases your personal style while still being functional and productive. With the ingenious ideas and resourceful tactics found here, you'll be maximizing yields and beauty from every square inch of your space, while also making Making a lush outdoor living area you'll crave spending time in. The Urban Garden, 101 Ways to Grow Food and Beauty in the City, comes out this spring. You can pre-order it now at Amazon.com and Bookshop.org. Celebrate spring with four exciting gardening books and their authors. This free online party takes place on Thursday, March 24th at 7 p.m. Eastern. It is sponsored by National Garden Bureau and Garden Communicators. During this live webinar, you'll get to virtually meet the four authors and learn some of their best gardening tips. Those authors are Sean and Allison McManus, Christy Wilhelmy, Raphael Delalo, and Tony Gattoni. Attendees will also have a chance to win one of three gardening giveaways. Register for this free webinar at ngb.org, select the Education tab, and scroll down to Webinars. See you there. Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter for as little as 99 cents a month by going to anchor.fm slash garden DC slash support. Another way to support this podcast is to subscribe to our monthly digital publication, Washington Gardener Magazine. To do so, go to washingtongardener.com. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.